0: Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co founder of Tessian. And in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. In this episode of the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, I'm joined by Tim Fitzgerald. The Chief Information Security Officer at ARM and former Chief Security Officer at Symantec. Now, Tim believes that people are inherently good, and to think of employees as the weakest link when it comes to cybersecurity is underserving. Tim thinks employees just want to do a good job. Sometimes mistakes happen, which can compromise security, but rather than blaming them, Tim urges leaders to first ask themselves whether they've given their people the right tools and they've armed them with the right information to help them avoid these mistakes in the first place. In this interview, we talk about the importance of changing behaviors, how businesses can make security part of everybody's job and how to get boards on board. I hope you enjoy it. As the CISO of Arm then, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face and how does that affect the way you think about your security strategy?
1: A couple of, so the, the challenge, I mean, I, I guess our challenges are, you know, not to be trite, but there's are sort of opportunities as well. The, the By far, the biggest single challenge we have is Arm's ethos around information sharing. Uh, as I noted before, we we have a belief, and I, and I think it has proven out to be true over the 30 plus years that Arm has been in business, that their level of information sharing has allowed Arm to be extraordinarily successful and innovative. Um, so there's no backing up from that as an ethos of the company. Um, but that represents a huge amount of challenge because we give a, a tremendous amount of personal freedom uh, for how people can access our information and our systems, uh, as well as how they use our data to share both with, uh, internally with our, uh, um, with our peers, but also with our customers who we're very deeply embedded with. Um, you know, We don't sell a traditional product where we, you know they buy it, we deliver it to them, and then we're done. The vast majority of our customers spend years with us developing their own product based on our intellectual property. Uh, and so that the level of information sharing that happens in a relationship like that is, is is quite difficult to manage, actually, to be to be candid.
0: Yeah, it really sounds like you've been balancing or having to think about not just the effectiveness of your you know security strategy or, or your systems, but also that impact to to productivity of employees. So has human layer security been part of your part of your strategy for a, for a long time at Arm or or even in your career before Arm?
1: my career before I met semantic uh, semantic was a very different company um you know more of a traditional software sales company um it also had 25,000 people who thought they knew more about security than i did so that, pre- pre- that presented a unique challenge um in terms of how we worked with that community but even at semantic i was thinking quite hard about how we influence behavior and ultimately what it, what it comes down to for me is i i i view um, my job in human security is somewhere between a sociology and a marketing experiment, right? We're really trying to change people's behavior in a moment, not universally, not their not their personal ethos, but will they make the right decision in this moment uh, that to, to do something that won't create security risk for us? And I, you know, I sort of I I kind of label that sort of microtransactions. We get these small moments in time where we have an opportunity to interact with and influence behavior. Um, and I've been sort of evolving that strategy as, as I've thought about it with ARM in a, in a very different place in many respects, but trying to think about not just how we influence their, their behavior in that moment in time, but actually, can we change their ethos? Can we make, can we make responsible security decision making part of everybody's job? And I, I know that there, there's not a single security person I'll say they're not trying to do that, right? But actually, that turns out to be a very, very hard problem. And I think, the the way that we think about this in arm is that we have you know a centralized security team I guess ultimately security is my responsibility at arm but we very much rely on what we consider to be our extended employee our ascended security team which is all of our employees essentially our view is that they can undo all of the good that we do behind them to try and compensate for the risk that you know normal human behavior creates but but I think one of the things that that's unique about how we look at at this arm is you know, we, we very much take the people are people view on this, not that they're the weakest link, not that they don't come with good intent or they don't want to be good at their job or that they're going to take shortcuts just to, you know, get that extra moment of productivity, but actually that everybody wants to do a good job. And, and our job is to arm them with both the knowledge and the tools to be able to keep themselves secure rather than trying to secure around them. Yeah. Candidly, we just to finish that thought, Tim. Just candidly, we do both, right? I mean, we're not going to stop doing all the other stuff we do to kind of help protect our people in ways that they don't even know exist. But the idea for us here is is actually that we have rare opportunities to empower our employees to take care of themselves. One of the things we really like about Tessian is it's one of the, this is something we've done for our employees, not to our employees. Uh, it, it's a tool that is is meant to keep keep them out of trouble.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really good point, Tim. And, you know, I think a lot of what you're talking about here as well is just security culture and really establishing a great security culture uh, as, a, as a company. And I, I love that for employees rather than to employees. I mean, it sounds like this really, you know, you have to, at the core of the organization, um, be thinking about the concept of human error in the right way when thinking about security decision making. Um I guess, thinking that people are always going to make mistakes. And as you said, it's just because they, you know, they are people. Um, and yeah. could you maybe walk us through a bit more about how you how you think or what advice you might have for some of the other organizations that are on the line today about how they might talk to, you know, their boards or um, their other teams about rationalizing this risk internally and and working with the fact that our employees are only human?
1: Yeah, it's a really, actually, for me, this has been the most productive dialogue we've had with our board and our executive around security. I think it, most of you on the phone will recognize that when you go in and you start talking about the various technical layers that we have that are available to protect uh, our systems, the ice lays over pretty quickly and they really just want to know whether or not it works. The human security problem is one that you can get a lot of passion on, in part because I, I think it's an unrecognized risk in the boardroom that while the the insider, meaning sort of the traditional insider threat that we think about, which is a person who's really acting against our best interest, uh, can be very, very impactful, at least at ARM, and certainly in my prior career, the vast majority of issues that we have and that have caused us harm over the last several years have been people who do not wish us harm. They've been people just trying to do their job uh, and making mistakes or doing the wrong thing, making a bad decision at a moment in time, and, and trying to figure out how we help them not to do that uh, is a much more difficult problem than uh, trying to figure out how to put in a firewall or put in DLP. So we really try and separate that conversation. There are a lot of things we do to try and catch that person who is truly acting against our best interest. But that actually, it, in many ways, that is a totally different problem than, you know, what at Arm what accounts for set more than 70% of our incidents and certainly more than 90% of our loss scenarios is people just doing the wrong thing uh and and making the wrong decision not that they were actively seeking to cause arm harm and if i might just give a couple of examples because i think it helps bring it home sure. the two the two most impactful events that we've had in the last two years at arm was somebody in our royalties group you know we sell software right so every time somebody produces a chip we get paid so that's a that's a good thing for arm but having somebody's royalty forecast uh gives you a really good sense of what markets they intend to enter and, and where they tend to go as a company. And most of our customers compete with each other because they're all selling similar chips off our design uh, into various formats. So having one customer having somebody else's data would be hugely impactful. And, and in fact, that's exactly what we did not that long ago is, is somebody, um, one of our wrote that people pulled down some pertinent information for a customer into a spreadsheet and then fat fingered an email. Uh, and send it to the wrong customer, right? They sent it, it to Joan at customer X and sent it to Joan at customer one. Uh, that, and that turned out to be a hugely impactful event for us as a company because this was a major relationship and because uh, you know we essentially disclose strategic roadmap from one customer to another. Completely <laughs> avoidable scenario and in a, in a situation where that employee was trying to do their best for their customer and ultimately made a mistake.
0: I think that I mean. Th- thanks for sharing that example with us. I think it's it's a really really good point. Um I think for a long time in security, we were talking about insider threat, and people immediately think about um, malicious employees or malicious insiders. And, and I think it's absolutely true what you say that you know the the reality is that most of your employees are you know trustworthy and want to do the right thing, <clears throat> but you know they sometimes make mistakes. And when you're doing something as often as say sending an email or sharing data. Um, the errors can be can be disastrous, and they can be frequent as well. Yeah. And I think about it a lot. And you know, that cut- last part
1: too is the frequency that really gets us right. So insider threat, that really bad guy who's acting as our best interest. We have a whole bunch of other mechanisms that, while still hard, uh, we have some other mechanisms to try and find them. That's infrequent, high impact. What we're finding is that the person who makes a mistake is high frequency, medium to high impact, and so we're just getting. We're getting hammered on that kind of stuff and it, the reason we came to testing in the first place was to address that exact issue and as far as i really believe in where you guys are going in terms of trying to address the risk associated with people making bad choices versus acting against our interest
0: this concept of high frequency i think is is super interesting I and mean, one of the questions i was actually going to ask you was around that you know it's almost like um insecurity uh, hackers get you know hackers and cyber attacks get all the attention because these are the scary things and naturally it's what you know boards want to talk about and executives want to talk about and almost accidents seem less scary so they they get less focus um but this frequency point of how often we share data we send emails um it's you know it has analogies in other parts um, other parts of our lives as well with like we don't think twice before we get in a car but actually, you know, it's very easy to you know, have human error there and things can things can also be really bad. Do you think that we um, do you think we need to do more to educate, our uh, again, our boards, our executive teams uh, and our employees to actually uh, sort of open their eyes to the fact that hu- inadvertent human error or accidents can be just as damaging as as attackers or cyber attacks?
1: Yeah, it depends on your organization, but I, w- I would suggest that generally we do need to do more um we as a as an industry uh we've had a lot of amazing things to talk about to get our board's attention over the last 10 years these these major events uh and loss scenarios often perpetrated by big hacking groups sometimes nation-sponsored it is very sexy security to talk about that kind of stuff and, and use that as justification for the reason we need to to, to invest in security and, and actually there's a lot of legitimacy behind that right it's not that that's fake messaging it's just yeah. it's just one part of the narrative the other side of the narrative that, that, you know, we spend more time on now than that sort of nation state type threat is trying to remove what our CEO calls trying to remove the footfalls, right? Let's not do it to ourselves. Uh, because what we're finding is not only by frequency, but by impact right now, the vast majority of what we're dealing with is, is avoidable events, uh, based on human error and, 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 and perhaps predictable human error. I guess that's the point I want to kind of hone in on is it's, it's, uh, I very much um, chafe at the idea that we think of our employees as the weakest link, right? I think it sort of underserves people's intent and, and how they would choose to operate. So rather than that, we, we try and take a look in the mirror and say, what are we not providing these people in order to help them avoid these types of scenarios? And I think if you change your perspective on that, um, rather than sort of people are an intractable problem and therefore we can't you know, we can't conquer this if we start thinking about how do we mobilize them as part of our overall cybersecurity strategy and defense mechanisms. It, it causes you to rethink whether or not you're serving your populace correctly. And I think in general, not only should we be talking to our senior executives and boards more more clearly about where real risk exists, uh, which in for most companies is right in this zone, um, but we need to be doing more to help those people combat that rather than just sort of, um, you know, I think casting blame that the average employee is not trustworthy or will do the wrong thing. You know, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, so I genuinely believe that's not true. I think if we give people the opportunity to make a good decision and we make the easiest path to get their job done in the secure path, they will take it. Uh, that, that is our job as security professionals.
0: Yeah, I think the huge point there, and you know, the word that was jumping out for me is, is this concept of empowerment. And I think about it, it is strange sometimes when you look at a lot of um, security initiatives that companies deploy um, how uh, we almost don't factor in that concept of the impact we'll have on uh, an employee's productivity. And I guess at Tessian, we're great believers that, you know, the, the greatest technology we've created has really empowered society. So it's, it's made people's lives better we think that yeah. security technology should not only keep people safe, but it should do it in a way that empowers them to do their best work. When, when you were sort of thinking about how to solve this problem of inadvertent human error on email, people sending emails to the wrong people or uh, dealing with the issue of phishing and spear phishing, um, what consideration did you have of like the other solutions that were out there? Yeah. You know, what did Tessian address for you that you couldn't quite address with those other platforms?
1: Yeah, um, a couple of things. So coming from Symantec, as you might expect, I used all of their technology extensively. And one of the, the best products Symantec has to offer is their DLP solution. So I'm very, very familiar with that. And I, I would argue we had one of the more advanced installations in the world uh, uh, running internally at Symantec. So I'm extremely familiar with the capability of those technologies. I think what I learned in, in my time in doing that is, when used correctly, against sort of a finite environment a finite data set that type of solution can be very very effective of kind of keeping that data where it's supposed to be and understanding movement in that ecosystem when you try and deploy that broadly it has all the same problems as everything else is is you um is that you you start to run into the inability of the dlp system to understand where that data is supposed to be is this person supposed to have it based on their role and their function it's not a smart technology like that so you end up trying to write these very, very complex rules that are hard to manage. Um, what I liked about Tessian is it gave us an opportunity to use the machine learning in the background to try and develop context about whether or not something that somebody was doing was was either atypical uh, or perhaps just by the very nature, maybe it's not atypical, maybe it's actually part of a bad process, but by the very nature of the type of information they're sending around and the characteristics of that of information. Um, we can get a sense of whether or not what they're doing is causing us risk. So it doesn't require us to be completely prescriptive about what we're looking for. It allows us to learn with the technology and with the people on what normal patterns of behavior look like and therefore intervene when it matters and not and not sort of having to react every time an alert bell goes off. So, you know, we... we to be clear, we still use DLP in, very, in, in limited circumstances, but what we found is that that was not a really viable option for us, particularly in the email stream, um, to be able to accurately identify when people were doing things that were risky versus you know, moving a very specific data set that we didn't want them to.
0: Yeah, that, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And then if you're thinking about the future and sort of, you know, what you hope Tessian can actually become, you know, where where does it go from here? What's the opportunity for for Tessian as a human layer security platform?
1: Yeah, I recall back to talking to you guys kind of, I guess, last spring. And one of the things I was poking at was you have all this amazing context of what people are doing in email. And that's where people spend most of their time and it's where most of the risk comes from for most organizations. So how can we turn that into beyond just, you know, making sure someone doesn't fat finger an email address or they're not sending a sensitive file where it's not supposed to go uh, or, or you know, you know, the other use cases that come along with Tessian. Can we take the context that we're gaining through how people are using email and creating more of those moments in time to connect with them? become to become more predictive where we start to see patterns of behavior of individuals that would that would suggest to us that they are either susceptible to certain types of risk or uh, you know are likely to take a particular action in the future there's a tremendous amount of knowledge that can be derived from that context particularly if you start thinking about how you can put that together with what you know would traditionally be kind of the you know behavioral analytics or the UEBA type space, Um, can we start to mesh together what we know about the technology and the machines with real human behavior and therefore have a very good picture that would help us, would help us not only to find those actual bad guys who are in our environment that we, that we know are there, but also to get out in front of people's behavior rather than reacting to it after it happened. You know, that for me, that's kind of the holy grail of what this could become is to get if not predictive, at least start leading us towards where we think risk exists and allowing us an opportunity to
0: intervene uh, before things happen. That's great, Tim. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. It was great to understand how Tim has built up his security strategy so that it aligns with and also enhances the overall ethos of the company, that more information sharing equals a more innovative and a more successful business. I particularly liked Tim's point when he said that businesses should make the path of least resistance, the most secure one. And by doing that, you can enable people to make smart security decisions and build a more robust security culture within an organization. As Tim says, it's security for the people, not to the people. And that's going to be so important as ways of working change. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more human layer security insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice, and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.